Mark chapter number 14 tonight. Mark 14 will be in verse number 32. Mark chapter 14, verse 32 um, is where we'll start. We'll actually just read verse 38, and then we'll have a word of prayer together. Get ready for the message tonight. Mark 14, verse 38. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Father, we come to you tonight, and I just want to ask one more time that you'd bless your word, you'd help us to understand it, and more importantly, God, you'd even help us to live it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's an old military saying that goes like this. The more you sweat in boot camp, the less you bleed in war. I like that. The more you sweat in boot camp, the less you bleed in war. Every military person would tell you that there's a lot of importance in those 13 or so weeks of boot camp. And they'll even tell you that, um, contrary to what I thought before studying for this message, that boot camp isn't really about learning skills. There's a whole separate training camp for that, boot camp is about transformation. That They say as you walk in, uh, in fact I saw a shot of this, as you walk into the doors to begin your training at places like Paris Island, there's a saying on there that says this is a place for transformation. You come here a civilian, but you leave a soldier. What's interesting to me is that really the first week or so of boot camp, they don't do a lot of training. They're just kind of gearing up for boot camp. There's a lot of documentation, a lot of paperwork, and, and all the, you know, typical administrative stuff that you have to do when you begin any job. But what's unique about the military is every second of boot camp is for the mission of transformation. So what could be just something as simple as filling out some paperwork Um, They make into an exercise of undergoing stress. Now, I'm going to show you a video real quick. And many of you know that when, uh, let's say, a Marine recruit, which is what we'll watch, arrives at their facility for boot camp, they get a phone call home. And then they don't really contact home for, I think, seven to nine days. And they make a phone call. Now, when I always pictured a Marine making a phone call home, you know, I pictured him at the phone booth, Hey, Mom and Dad, I just want to let you know I love you, and I just got to boot camp. I'll contact you in about a week. It doesn't go quite like that. In fact, we're going to show a short video of what they turned a phone call home into. Background where everything to go into them, um, everything's kind of thought out for them, everything's planned out for them. Oh, I'm sorry. 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 Yeah. 
Some of you moms are like, I ain't sending my kid to the Marines. No way. What could be something as simple as making a phone call home, they turn it into an exercise of stress because here's the importance. They can't train you for combat, right? I mean, they can't shoot you. (laughs) Although maybe some drill instructors would like to. They can't do that. And so here's what they do is they make every situation important. And they, they make sure that in every little thing you do, that they make that situation as stressful as possible. Because here's the thing. If you can't make a phone call home to mommy without, un, while you're undergoing stress, you probably can't kill a bad guy while you're undergoing stress. The more you sweat in boot camp, the less you bleed in war. They push them to the limits physically, mentally, and emotionally because it's the discipline and training that's going to make you successful in combat. There's something for us to learn here as Christians. Because a lot of times we approach spiritual warfare with a casual attitude. We, we think that we can go into temptation and have not prepared ourselves and we can overcome it successfully. But here's the truth tonight, is that you can't have victory over temptation until you're willing to pay the price of preparation. In our passage tonight, in Mark chapter number 14, we find Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, as Mark called him, going into what would be his finest hour. Jesus, for months, had prepared his disciples for the fact that he was going to be going to the cross. He was going to suffer be rejected, be killed, be buried, and then rise from the dead. But let me me help you understand this, church. Jesus didn't go into that moment lightly. Jesus was facing the greatest temptation he would face in his 30-plus years here on earth. And here's what Mark shows us in Mark 14. He's going to show us how Jesus prepared for his great moment of temptation, but then he's also going to show us what the disciples didn't do for their great moment of temptation. And I hope tonight that we as a church can learn three responses to temptation. If we can learn from the example of Jesus, we too can overcome our greatest temptations. Here's number one tonight. If we're going to overcome temptation, you have to wake up. You have to wake up and grasp the weight of temptation. We find in verses 32 through 34 that Jesus grasped the weight of the temptation he was about to face. Uh, in fact, what's interesting to me is that throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has been kind of prepping his disciples for the fact that he's going to die on the cross. I mean, look at verse number 8. He, he uh, was anointed by Mary, and here's what he said. She hath done what she could... She's come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying, right? He said, I'm going to die and be buried. Look at verse 22 through 25. He's giving the Lord's Supper. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And then he says unto them, this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. I I think that's pretty clear that he's going to die, right? You don't shed blood and die I mean, unless you're going to go to the cross and face what he had been telling him he's going to face. Now look at verse 27. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, 
I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus throughout the entire gospel of Mark has been preparing his disciples that there is going to come a time when he's going to be rejected of men, be rejected of the culture. He was going to die and he's going to be buried, but he almost always tagged on the fact that he's going to raise from the dead. But it's not until verses 33 and 34 that we get a sense of how Jesus felt about this. We don't get a sense of how Jesus felt emotionally until it really begins to hit him in verse 33. Or sorry, verse 32. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, those were kind of his inner three, and he uh, and he saith unto them, sorry, and he began Pay attention to this. He began to be sore amazed. Sore amazed. That word literally means that Jesus was overcome with emotion. It means that he was greatly disturbed. Have you ever been overcome with emotion? I mean, I want you to picture what Jesus' face would have looked like as, as he was approaching his time on the cross He was overcome with emotion about what he was about to face. He was greatly disturbed. But then it says that Jesus not only was sore amazed, but then verse 33, he began to be very heavy. That means he was distressed. He was anxious. Jesus literally was facing in his heart feelings of anxiety. He was so burdened about what he was about to face, but then here he begins to vocalize what he's feeling in verse number 34. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. What does that mean? Exceeding sorrowful. The book of Mark uses that example twice. Um, Previously to this, one example is when King Herod had to put John the Baptist to death. Now if you understand the story, King Herod respected and revered John Baptist, but because he got caught in an oath that he made foolishly while he was drunk and he had to kill one of the great revered prophets of their day. And it says that when he, when he realized the oath he had made, that he was, very, uh, he was overcome with, with this sorrow that Jesus was feeling in this same passage. The other time it, it uses this word is when the rich young ruler approached Jesus. And he came to Jesus and he asked him what he needed to do to get into the kingdom of heaven. And, and Jesus gave him the sad news that day that because of his love for riches, he could not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible says that he was exceedingly sorrowful. What Jesus was feeling in this moment was literally the pinnacle of distress, of anxiety, of emotion. In fact, Luke tells us that Jesus was so overcome with stress and emotion in this moment that the blood vessels underneath his skin began to burst and he began to sweat as it were great drops of blood. That doesn't happen unless your heart is just racing and you're just feeling stress like no human normally feels. But I want to ask you this. Why would Jesus be feeling these intense emotions? Is it just simply that he didn't like the idea of dying? I don't think that's it. I I think it's more than that, that Jesus understood as he approached the cross that in his humanity, there was a temptation for him to 
turn it all away. That in his human nature, that if he just walked away from it all, he wouldn't have to face the whips. He wouldn't have to face the mockings. He wouldn't have to face the torturous death upon the cross. But Jesus understood the weight of the temptation that if he just walked away from it all, that all of humanity would suffer in hell for eternity. Why was Jesus so overcome with emotion? Because he grasped the weight of the temptation he was about to face. Well, what about the disciples? Jesus told them in verse 34, to tarry ye here and watch. That word watch literally means to be awake, to, to not fall asleep. And we'll find out later in the passage that they did just that. But it also means in a spiritual sense to be alert, to be vigilant, to be aware of the danger surrounding you. But if you look at verses 32, really through 42, the disciples were completely oblivious to the temptation they were about to face. Now, it's not that they had to pay the price upon the cross, but look at verse 27 again. Jesus told them, look at verse 27, all ye shall be offended of me, be offended because of me this night. Here's what Jesus is saying. Tonight, like he put a time on it, tonight all of you are going to forsake me and leave me. Now, how's that for a serious temptation? You would think if Jesus had warned them Hey, listen, you're going to face the temptation to forsake the person you claim to love, to forsake the person you claim you'll follow until the death. You would think that if he told them that this very night you're going to face that, that they would be on edge, that they would be alert, that they would wake up to the weight of temptation. But you find in this passage that they're focused on something as trivial as who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus in the kingdom. They weren't focused on the spiritual because they're more focused on their secular desires. The pride and the position that they wanted in the kingdom of heaven. You know what I found for myself, I think it's true for all of us, is that while God calls us to put a lot of weight on the spiritual, we put a lot of emotion into the secular. That a lot of us grasp the weight of providing for our families. We grasp the weight of doing well on a big test. We grasp the weight of taking care of our spouse. We grasp the weight as we watch OU versus OSU. We get the idea of when there's big moments in life, but, we, but here's the condemning thing, is that we grasp the weight of those things, but yet the bigger things in life, the spiritual things in life, when it comes to bringing God glory with how we deal with sin, a lot of us, let's be honest, we're oblivious. We go day in and day out with no understanding of how weighty temptation is. We aren't apathetic. I've found this. People aren't just apathetic across the board. They're just apathetic about all the important things. That they'll be apathetic about the things of God, but man, they'll get passionate when you start talking about politics. They'll be really on edge about the next midterm election. When it comes to the sins that they'll face tomorrow, they're apathetic. They haven't woken up. Can I ask you tonight, when was the last time your sin genuinely grieved you? When was the last time you were burdened about the temptations you struggle with? I think if we take an honest inventory 
of our attitude about spiritual things, we care far more about the secular than the spiritual. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, this world is not a playground, it's a battleground. This world is not our home, we're just passing through. We're surrounded by spiritual warfare, and God has called every single one of us to be a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Church, can I assure you, this week, your faithfulness to God is going to be put to the test. Teens, let me, let me assure you, you're going to go on your missions trip, and your faithfulness to God, your focus upon the gospel, is going to be put to the test. When you walk into work tomorrow morning, your faithfulness to God is going to be put to the test. You say, well, what do you mean about that? I'm not talking about necessarily that you're going to walk away from your faith. But listen, every sin is a test of our faithfulness to God. And it's about time as believers that we wake up and we grasp that we are surrounded by temptation and we get serious about dealing with it. But grasping the weight of temptation will never be enough. We have to let our understanding of the weight of temptation push us to do something about it. And we find for Jesus that when he got serious about his temptation coming, it led him to serious prayer. What do we need to do? We need to wake up. And then verses 35 through 42, Jesus shows us we need to pray up. We need to pray up. Jesus agonized in prayer over a spiritual test, but here's where we find the disciples slept. Look at verse 30, verse 35, and he went forward a little, and he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. What is Jesus doing here? He's anticipating his temptation. He's saying, God, I know what I'm about to face, and I know in my humanity, in my will, I want this all to go away. And he, and he even said, God, if, if you could make this happen within the realm of your will, I'd take it. But what did he do after that? It says that Jesus not only anticipated the temptation, but he surrendered to God's plan. Look at verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. I love this last part. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. What did Jesus do? He not only anticipated the temptation, he surrendered to God's plan. And here's what we learn from Jesus that I think we need to apply to our prayer lives. Is that prayer is a whole lot less about meeting our needs as much as, much as it's about to surrendering to God's will. It's not as much about meeting our needs, it's about surrendering to God's will. So here's Jesus, he's pouring out his heart before God. God I know what I want to do. I know what my humanity wants, but Lord, I surrender to your plan. Look at verse 37. Then he, he gets up, and he cometh, and he findeth them sleeping. And he saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst thou not? Couldst not thou watch one hour? And then look at verse 38. He tells them, watch ye, wake up, and pray, pray up, lest ye enter into temptation, the spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Then look at verse 39. I didn't notice this until I was studying for this this week. And he went and, oh, sorry, and again he went away and he prayed. What does the last part say? And he spake the same words. You know what I think sometimes is we make a big deal about 
man, I don't know how I could pray before God for this amount of time, or I just don't know what to say. Hey, Jesus didn't say a lot of variety in his prayer. He just spoke the same words, and here's what I learned from that. Surrender to God isn't a one-time event. We're going to face temptation, and our will to obey God is going to be tested time and time again. And here's what we need to do. We need to come before God and pray the same words. We need to pray and say, God, I surrender to your plan, and my will, God, is at conflict with yours, but God, I'm surrendering to you. It's not a one-time thing. So Jesus prays, finds him asleep, prays again. What does he find? Look at verse 40. And when he returned, he found them asleep. I think Mark's like, again, you know? Found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, and he had, Jesus confronts them again, and neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time. So he went back and prayed, apparently, and came back a third time. And said, sleep on now, take your rest. He's, he's kind of exasperated with the disciples. Um, it is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. So here's what, what we find in this passage. That while Jesus was agonizing in prayer, while he was surrendering his will over to God, while he was anticipating the temptation and surrendering to God's plan, we have on the other side, the disciples are over there sleeping. They're oblivious to the weight of what's about to happen. They're oblivious to the weight of the temptation that even they would face later in the garden as Judas would come and they'd run away. They're totally oblivious and they're not praying at all. But yet Jesus is praying. And what does he find? When he came back to hope to find his disciples praying, he found them sleeping. I wonder if sometimes God surveys the Collins household. And when he'd like to find me praying, he finds me sleeping. I wonder if sometimes God comes to your house, and when he knows the temptations you're going to face that day at work, God would like to find you praying, but he finds you sleeping. God would like to find you praying, but you're hitting the gym early, but you've done nothing in the word. God would like to find you praying, but you're getting an early start on the day. Are you with me tonight? That if we're going to overcome the temptations we face, there's got to come a time, church, that we get serious about praying for God to give us victory over temptation. That we can't expect victory over temptation until we've paid the price of preparation. If we're going to pray up, if we're going to agonize in prayer like Jesus did, what does it look like? Well, Jesus showed us, number one, it looks like this. you got to anticipate the temptation. Anticipate the temptation. And this is a mindset shift. Because you know what happens a lot? Is we go throughout our day, and we just let Satan just blindside us. You know, we just wake up, and coffee, and hallelujah for that. Go to work. And we haven't thought at all about honoring God, giving him glory, letting our lives be a reflection of him. And then Satan, he's been planning, he's been scheming, he's been on the ball, and he throws something at you. And why, why are we surprised when we fall, when we've done nothing to prepare? Church, let me encourage you. In your daily prayer time, I hope you have something like that. And if you don't, tonight and tomorrow are the time to start. That in your daily prayer time, that you would let God 
give you some foresight and let God give you some discernment and you would anticipate the temptation. Because it's not like Satan really throws anything unique at us, not most of the time anyway. I mean, we all struggle with the same things probably every single day. You wake up and you're running late for work and you're stressed. And so there's the temptation right at you to take it out on somebody else. You're staying at home with your kids and kids are what kids are. And you get the same temptation to just lose your mind, right? You go to work, and you face the boss that we talked about in Sunday school this morning, the one that picks you apart, the one that's critical, that one that really gets under your skin, and you face the temptation every day to just want to get at him, right? We face the same temptation, don't we, that, that an opportunity for lust comes by, and, and, and the opportunity to take a second look is there. There's the opportunity, teens or Kids, tonight, every day probably, you're tempted to disrespect and dishonor your parents. Let me encourage you, anticipate the temptation. Bring that temptation to God. God, I know what I'm going to face today. God, I know I'm going to open up my Amazon app. Man, I want to buy that thing. God, I know I'm going to walk into church today, and I'm going to want to make it all about me when it's really all about you but we anticipate the temptation, then here's what we do. We surrender our will. Anticipate the temptation and then surrender your will. What did Jesus say? Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. We say, God, here's what I want to do. Here's what my flesh wants to do. But God, before I even face this temptation, I'm surrendering to you. Here's what we're doing. We're making a decision before we face the temptation that we're going to honor God. God, I know I'm going to be tempted to get upset. I know I'm going to be tempted to be critical. I know I'm going to be tempted to get bitter because people forgot about this again. I know I'm going to be tempted to those things, but God, here's what I want to do. But with your help, God, and by your grace, I'm going to surrender my will. And here's what you'll find, church is that your success in temptation is largely dependent upon your discipline in prayer. A lot of us say, man, I'm struggling with sin. Man, this addiction's got me. And I wonder if a lot of those same people, and I've been in that kind of word plenty of times, maybe it's because we just rarely pray about it. Maybe it's because we let temptation blindside us rather than being prepared through prayer. So how did Jesus respond to temptation? How do we respond? We wake up, we pray up, and when we wake up and we pray up, we can stand up to temptation. Look at verse 43. Jesus takes his disciples in, uh, away from his place of prayer, and immediately while he had spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. There's a big old mob coming at Jesus. Verse 44. And he that betrayed him had given him a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he. Take him and lead him away safely. Verse 45. And as soon as he was come, he goes straightway to him and saith, Master, Master. And he kissed him. Jesus stood up to temptation. You know, I wonder, in this moment, what temptations was Jesus facing? 
I don't know what the Son of God maybe have been feeling. I, I'm kind of, I try to be careful talking about what he would have felt. But I know what I would have been feeling. You know, Judas, he's kind of sauntering over to Judas. Master, master. You know what I would have been tempted to do? I'm going to take you out, Judas. To fight back. If I was Jesus, I'm not going to say that. If I was in that spot, man, I'd have all the disciples with their swords ready. Hey, Peter, you missed him. You got his ear. Let's take him all out. I would have called a legion of angels. But maybe Jesus didn't face the temptation to fight. Maybe his temptation was to run. Or maybe it could have even been to play the victim. And to whine and cry about how people had taken advantage of him. But we find that Jesus didn't do any of that. That when the hour came, and when his faithfulness to God was tested, when the greatest temptation of his life would come, of whether or not he was going to submit to the death on the cross, what did Jesus do? He stood firm and he was faithful to God's plan. He said, take me. You have no reason to take me, but take me. And when he was reviled, what did Peter say this morning in our lesson? He reviled not again. And Jesus said, I may have the choice, I could choose to walk away from this, but he said, take me, because this is what God wants. Why was Jesus successful in temptation? Here's why. Because long before Judas marched towards him and planted a kiss on his cheek, Jesus had woken up, prayed up, and was ready to stand faithful with the Father. What about the disciples? Well, it's probably no surprise they didn't do too well. Look at verse number 47. And one of them, Mark's being nice, that was Peter, one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, mind you, Jesus had already told him, don't do that. You know, you, you don't fight people with swords. That's not what I'm about. But then look at verse number 50. And they all forsook him, and what's the next word, church? Fled. They ran. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, I, I just imagine like, no, they, they booked it out of there. They fled. They took off running. I mean, these are, some of them are 40, probably 50-year-old men running for their lives. When they had just moments earlier said, Jesus, we'll never forsake you. We'll go with you to the death. And here's why the disciples fled and forsook Jesus in the moment of temptation. Because they had never thought about temptation until the moment came. They had never prayed for God to give them grace and help them, help them to overcome it. So when the better option presented itself, they took it. And listen, church, if you haven't woken up to the power of temptation, if you're not prayed up, you'll forsake Jesus when a better option comes by. You'll run away too. How do we respond to temptation? We wake up. We grasp the weight of temptation. We pray up. Surrender your will to the Father. And three, when we, when we wake up, we pray up. By God's grace, we can stand up. Stay faithful to God. Here's what I want to do tonight, church. I want every head bowed and every eye closed, and the instrumentals are going to come. <clears throat> Tomorrow, you will face temptation. And let me assure you, I don't care what temptation it is, it's a big deal to God. And so I hope tonight 
that if you didn't have this attitude about it before, that you'd realize it should be a big deal to you. And so here's what I want you to do, just for a moment. I want you to anticipate the temptation. Teens going on the mission trip, you're going to leave tomorrow at 5 p.m. and go on this long flight. I want you to anticipate the temptation. You're going to arrive in Nassau, and you're going to be tempted to get into all this drama. I want you to anticipate the temptation. What are you going to face tomorrow when you walk into work? What are you going to face tomorrow when you're parenting your children? What are you going to face tomorrow when you're watching TV? And here's what I want you to do tonight. I want us to not just anticipate the temptation, but I want you to take a moment during our invitation time. I want you to pray. I want you to go through those temptations. Say, God, here's what my flesh is going to want me to do tomorrow. But God, with your help and with your grace, I'm making the decision right now to surrender my will. Not what I will, Lord, but thy will be done. You say, well, what do I do tomorrow? Well, I hope you'd wake up and do it again. What about Tuesday? I hope you wake up and do it again. Anticipate the temptation. Surrender your will. I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, I, I, I pray that you would bow a knee at your seat. You come forward to the altar. Hey, if you haven't been praying like this, start tonight. And let your habit start now. It'll be a whole lot easier to get on a knee tomorrow morning. Father, we 